Most of you know that uh, we have uh, overseers that uh, are in leadership uh, of myself and over our church, and we have five of them, and uh, it's my goal to make sure that each one comes and speaks to you this first year of our existence, and so um, we have the privilege today of having one of those overseers come And an overseer is really about spiritual authority. It's about uh, protection and stability. I believe that churches need people over them who can look in from the outside and, and, and see how they're doing to give them encouragement and to say, good job, or to say, hey, I think you need to be concerned about this. You better take care of this, because they have better eyes sometimes than those of us who are here on the ground doing the work. And so I believe in spiritual authority. I believe I, as the senior pastor of this church, have to surrender to someone else's spiritual authority. I am submitted to men in my life that can speak into my life. I think every church needs to have a pastor who will be submitted to others. If the pastor's not willing to submit to others in his life, I'm not sure you should be willing to submit to his life. I think there's an important principle there, an important idea there. And so I think it makes us safer. It makes us sturdier. We are not orphans. We're not an orphan church. I didn't just come and pop up a, a little tent and start preaching. I didn't just come on my own. I came from a family, and that family is called New Life Church in Colorado Springs. And they sent us here with money. They sent us here with people. And the pastor of that church is here today, and his name is Pastor Brady Board. So I want you to give a huge One Chapel welcome to Pastor Brady Boyd as he comes to speak to us. All right. Well, it's good to be here. You know, I was here the weekend before you started last. I was here Labor Day weekend, and y'all had your first official. Can I say y'all here? Yeah. Um, I say that in Colorado, I get corrected. You know, they're kind of persnickety there. <laughs> anyway, but I can say y'all in Texas, right? I, you know, I lived in Texas for most of my adult life, but I got to Colorado as soon as I could. But, it, but I was here in Texas for about 12 or 15 years. I love Texas. And, but anyway, I don't know what I was, what was I saying, Ross. It was something pretty important, though. Oh, yeah, anyway, so I, I, just, I was here the weekend before you started, and it really was true that this, this one section could have held all the people. But we, we knew at New Life, when we sent Ross Parsley out, we laid hands on him and his family and sent him out. There was no doubt in our mind that God was going to bless and multiply and, and cause him to be very fruitful. And the reason is because this is a man of uh, high integrity. He, Ross Parsley is one of the best men I know. And I, 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 don't, I'm, I say what I mean and mean what I say. I don't just say that because I'm standing in front of his people, in front of him. Ross Parsley is one of the best men I know. And if I lived in uh, Austin, Texas, I would attend one chapel church. I love this guy. I love his family. I love what God's doing here. Uh, it's no surprise to me that God's blessed this place and will continue to bless this place. And it's, 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 I'm certainly confident, too, that God's going to open up a spot for you. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. God's going to, this one chapel was God's idea. It's not something that we thought up. Uh, Austin, Texas, uh, planting a church in Austin, Texas was not even on our radar. And God is the one that birthed that idea in, the, in, in his heart and made it clear to us as elders at New Life. So uh, God's going to direct your steps. He's going to lead the way. And uh, it's a privilege to be here today. It's a privilege to call you friend. And by the way, this is how much I love Ross Parsley, that I would come to Austin, Texas in August. <laughs> I don't even want to tell you what the temperature was at my house when I woke up yesterday morning, but it was 51, <laughs> which is half of what it is outside right now. So uh, this is how much I love this man, that I would come here in, in, in August. And I'm coming next time in like November. Yeah. Or January. How about that? When I have to fight my way out of a blizzard to get to the airport to get here, that's when I want to come back, all right? 
All right, so it's good to be with you this morning. I want to open up your script, the Bible, and we're going to look at Psalm 23, and we're going to look at uh, Joshua chapter 1 in just a moment. And the title of this message today is Our Fearsome Shepherd and His Fearless Sheep. Our Fearsome Shepherd and His Fearless Sheep. I really do believe that's a good explanation of, of God and who we are. We have this fearsome God. And by the way, you, you're not, you can't tame God. You can't put Him in a box. You can't make Him fit into your nice little theological uh, framework. God is fearsome. He is, he is awe-inspiring. Awe he is mysterious. He's risky. He's dangerous. In fact, if you think you know everything about God, then you're worshiping your theology. Because I can tell you, the first billion years of heaven, we're going to continue to uncover mysteries about this wonderful God that we serve. Worship draws us into the pursuit of this mysterious God. God is mysterious. He's risky. He's dangerous. He's powerful. He's awe-inspiring. And I, I don't have him figured out, and I don't think I'll ever figure him out. And that's what I love about it. That's what causes me to worship him, by the way, because he's, he's big. He's better than I am. I've tried being God before. I was lousy at it. And uh, he's just really good at it and uh, causes me to worship him. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about an issue that I think it's crippling in the American church, and I suspect that many of us sitting in this room this morning are crippled by fear. Fear is something that's it's an awful taskmaster. Fear is something that once it gets into your life will control every part of your life. Do you know that the, the, the most common command in Scripture is fear not? In fact, some people say, I, I haven't done the research myself, some people say there's 366 times in the Bible where fear not is mentioned. One for every day, in other words, of the year. This is how important it is in Scripture for us to understand that we are not to be a fearful people. God, I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, this common theme comes up in every book of the Bible. Do not be afraid, my little sheep. Do not be afraid, children of the living God. We, we are people, if there's any people on the planet today that should not be afraid, it's us. Because we serve this fearsome God, and we should be fearless sheep. I was praying about what to speak on this week when I was coming here, and I actually heard the Lord early in the week to preach, speak on this, and then I didn't realize on Thursday that the Dow would drop 500 points, you know, the largest drop in the stock market in a couple of years. And, and you could just see the panic on people's faces, the panic from the news commentators. I was getting my oil changed uh, this week. By the way, they, they, they changed the way I say it, oil, when I went to Colorado, because you know the right way to say it is oil. That's right, you say it in Texas, right? You notice I say it now the Colorado way, which I'm really ashamed of. But anyway... <laughs> So I was getting my oil changed, um, and, and, and the news was on. And this young guy comes in who's changing my, my oil. And now when I go back, I won't be able to say it right. Yeah, I'll get corrected again. So, uh, and he looked at the news. He just says there, looks at it for 15 seconds, and he goes, man, that's the most depressing stuff. It makes me afraid to even listen to all this. And he was talking about the debt ceiling and talking about our government being broke, talking about the Dow, you know, plummeting. And it really does cause fear to come up in people's hearts. But we're not people of fear. We have this fearless God. We have a fearsome God, and I'm a fearless sheep of his pasture. And, and I just realized that we're gripped by it. It's the great crippler of our culture right now. About two months ago, I, uh, I had open-heart surgery. I was told back in the spring that this pulmonary valve, I was born with tetralogy of flow, which is a big, long word for having a leaky faucet valve, you know. And so I've, I've dealt with it all my life. Uh, taken medicine, had surgery when I was four years old, got it repaired, and... But my doctor called me this spring after going to him to see him. He called me and said, uh, you're going to have to have open-heart surgery. So two months ago, in the first week of June, I'm in the hospital, you know, with open-heart, you know, they open up your chest, they go in, and they replace my pulmonary valve, which they replaced it with a cow's aorta. 
if I have a, about the size of my pinky, I have that much cow in me now. So I don't want to hear any cow jokes, and I've already heard them all, all the Chick-fil-A jokes. I've already heard all those. Um, so I actually had the Chick-fil-A cow show up at my house. They brought me dinner one night. It was a true story, you know, you know eat more chicken, they, all that stuff. So I've heard all the jokes. If you got a good one, I'll hear it, but don't, I've probably already heard it. So, you know, so I go to the hospital for this surgery, and... And the doctor is just being a good doctor, but I had to sign release forms for the surgery and the, had a couple of procedures done before the surgery. And on all the forms, it said risk of death. And the doctor was saying, you know, listen, we do these surgeries every day. This is a common surgery, but I just want you to know you could have brain damage or, or die. And I said, well, I'm already kind of brain damaged because I'm a pastor, but, but, I, but so I'm not worried about that part. But the, uh, the dying part I, is, a, is a big concern for me. So I'm 44. You know, I still, I still like my wife. I have two small kids, and so I have a lot of reasons to live. You know, I like being at New Life for most, most days. And um, so I just, I don't, that dying part is a big issue to me. And, and then, to make matters a little bit worse, I went in for some tests the day before the surgery, and they found out that I had these dangerous heart rhythms that could cause sudden death. And they said, you know, 20% of the people with your particular condition just drop dead. You know, just going out for a walk, they, they just drop dead, and we have to do an autopsy to find out why. So we, we can correct that. And so they now, I, not only do I have a new pulmonary valve, I have this defibrillator, which is this mechanical device implanted right here that goes off. Uh, like, it's like getting shocked with paddles. You know, you've seen that on TV, CSI. Bam! They bring you back. Well, if I do that in the middle of the sermon, you'll have to discern whether it's the Holy Spirit or I'm getting shocked. <laughs> so that'll be up to you to decide what that, uh, my bucking is about. But, um, <laughs> but it will save my life. So 99.9% of the, of the rhythms now will not cause death. So I, I like the odds better than 20%, you know what I'm saying? So all of that happened two months ago. And I, I'm not really a person who um, is afraid. I'm not a fearful person. I'm, I, I'm not ever been really afraid. Uh, in fact, I just wrote a book called Fear No Evil. And then suddenly I'm in, I'm in, you know, out there with the um, doctor signing these release forms saying there's a risk of death. And so I've had to, in the last couple of months, really had to wrestle fear back down to the ground. And I want to tell you how I did it, because I think there are some people, I, I, I suspect in this room, there are many of you who were raised by fearful parents, or you were raised in a fearful atmosphere, or maybe, uh, you know, I met a lady after the first service who's about to send her son to Afghanistan, and she's really fearful. I'm, my nephew's about to go to the Middle East, he's a Marine, hoorah, and uh, he's about to go, he's deployed in a couple of weeks, and, and I know his mom, my sister, is really wrestling with fear about her son being over there in a very violent place. So I understand, and I know the economy is up and down, and so there's a lot of reasons for fear to get a grip on our heart, but also know that there's a way to get rid of it, to live without it. So I want to tell you how just recently God led me through a couple of passages of Scripture to help me understand how to stay free from fear and to live a life without fear. And so this morning, the first way that I felt like God led me is that He told me, He said, Brady, we are not afraid because He is near. I am near you, Brady. I remember laying on that hospital bed being, you know, about 30 minutes before the surgery, and my family came in and prayed over me, and I'm wheeled away, and I'm in this prep room. They take you to this prep room, and they start putting stuff in you, plugs in you and stuff, and they're getting you ready to go into surgery, and the, the nurse looked at me and said, are you okay? I went, yeah, I am, and I felt so confident. I felt this peace, the same peace that Ross was trying to explain a minute ago, this peace comes not because of some knowledge, it's because of a reality that God is near us, that He's with us, that we really are in the palm of His hand, that we really are the sheep of His pasture, where He's the shepherd of our soul, and that he's, he's, he's near us. So 
In a moment of when you're really feeling afraid, if you could just stop and ask yourself this one question, God, where are you? And yet maybe you've been in a place of real fear, of real terror, a moment of terror. It's in that time where the enemy wants to come, the lie that he wants to tell all of us is that God has abandoned you, that God's not near, that God's some deistic, futuristic God that doesn't really want to be bothered with our day-to-day problems. He really is more concerned with big world problems, but he's a long way away for us. And that's not at all what Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus says, I am with you always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, when you get brought before rulers and have to give an account of me, the Holy Spirit will be there with you. I'll be with you in prison. I'll be with you in the mountaintops. I am with you always. I am near. David, King David, the mighty warrior king, had, he had people that hated him, people that tried to kill him. There was a lot of times as he stood before Goliath, the young David seemed like he was fearless. And in the 23rd Psalm, he writes the first four verses of that powerful psalm, the most quoted passage in the Bible, by the way, the most memorized passage in the Bible is the 23rd Psalm. I want to put it up here today. I want to show you something in this passage. Let's read it together. Let's read the first four verses out loud. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, the first three verses is the one we all want to live out. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, green pastures, still waters, restored souls. Those are the beautiful things that we all want in our life. But suddenly in verse 4, the whole psalm takes this very ominous, dark turn. Green pastures, still waters, restored souls. Suddenly, the valley of the shadow of death. And that's exactly how life happens many times. Everything's going great. My life was pretty normal, but this spring, suddenly I get the phone call. You know what the, a big fear in the American culture is? The fear of bad medical news. We all have this fear of the doctor telling us, you know, going to your annual physical and the doctor. We all have this fear inside of us of early death. We have this fear inside of us of giving a bad report from the doctor, cancer, leukemia, something like that, that that's life-threatening. And so that's what life is like. Everything's great, everything's normal, and then the phone rings. And that's the way many of us, a lot of you have those experiences where the clouds, there was no clouds in the sky and suddenly a storm came up. And David is right with us. David says this is exactly the way life is. Suddenly you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death. Now what? We have a chance, a choice at that point to either be fearful or faithful. You either have a choice to be steady and strong or, or weak and, and full of fear. And David said, I will fear no evil. When I find myself in the valley of the shadow of death, when death is staring down at me, I will not be afraid. And this is the reason why, because you're with me. And not only is he with me, not only is the benevolent, gracious, kind, sweet, loving God there with me, he says, and his rod and his staff, they're there to comfort me and protect me. He's fearsome. Not only is God with you, the gracious God that we all worship, but the fearsome God is also there with you. God, the defender, God, the protector, God there with his rod and his staff. God did not show up unarmed. He's full of power. He's full of strength. And he said, I'm, I, I realize that in the valley of the shadow of death, when everything was looking dark, God was there with me, armed for battle. And it's at that moment where you take a deep breath and go, I think I can make this. Now I, I'm not going to be afraid. And then look at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is a fascinating story of this young leader finds himself suddenly in charge of several million people. They're on the banks of the Jordan River. The next step is to cross the 
swollen Jordan River, and it, should they survive crossing the Jordan River, on the other side of that river is uh, every person on the other side of the river wants to kill them, hate them, kill them. And everybody on the other side of the river has bigger armies, stronger soldiers, and fortified cities. And Joshua, the young Joshua, suddenly put in charge of that kind of army, that transition. Moses has died. Let's read this in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, I wonder why God reminded him of that. Joshua had been to the funeral. I mean, he knew he was dead, right? Here's what God was saying. Confront your reality. Say out loud what's going on. Quit, quit ignoring the problem. Now, I think among charismatics, oftentimes, we get rebuked for saying honestly what's going on. I even, I mean, I had heart surgery. My heart was broken. To say that, some people, where's your faith? Well, I can tell you where my faith is. My faith is in God, but I am also very grateful for doctors. And so I'm going to have surgery. Moses is dead. This is my reality. I'm going to look it in the face. I'm going to confront it. It's not going to get the best of me. This is what God was saying to, to Joshua. Moses is dead. He said it out loud, and like Joshua finally had to come to grips with it. Okay, Moses is dead. Now keep reading with me. It says, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot. Now, notice here that Joshua was required to move forward. Do you know what fear does to people? It cripples us. It, it, it causes you to stop taking risk. You get, you get passive. You get tepid. You start shrinking back. You get fearful. Fearful people rarely take Kingdom risk. And God did not call us to live safe lives, by the way. God called us to live risky lives. God called us to leave Colorado Springs and go to Austin where he knew 15 people to plant a church. That's risky. That's the safe thing for Ross to do was to stay at New Life. That was the safe thing to do. And if he'd have been a fearful man, he would have never left to come here and plant the church. He never would have done it. God calls us to take the step. And he said, if you'll take the step, I'll give you the land, but you have to take the step. And you won't take the step if you're afraid. You, you have to get rid of this fear or you'll never take the step into the risky place that God wants to lead you, by the way. And he says, as I promised, verse 4, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, which is kind of south of here, I think, and, and, and <laughs> to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. And this is the most powerful thing in this whole passage, I believe. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those are the very words of Jesus to his disciples. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just as I was with Moses, look at me, Joshua, I am with you. Now go take the land. And then now, listen, this is how much God had to pound this into Joshua. So he says it to him three different times. Verse 7, be strong. No, verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous he said, be, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. By the way, can I tell you that reading Scripture out loud is one of the greatest powerful tools you can use against fear. I, I quoted this first four verses of the 23rd Psalm over and over and over, sometimes out loud 
Lord, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I would quote this out loud. And what happens is the continuously articulate scriptures, when you read them out loud, the Bible says they go forth and they never come back void. They do something. They divide between your soul and spirit. They help you to discern if you're afraid or not. These scriptures are powerful. And he's saying, look, don't let the law, come. don't let it go from your mouth. Say it out loud, Joshua. There's going to be days when you're terrified, when your knees are shaken. But quote the scriptures. That's what he was saying to us, the way we should interpret it today. Okay, verse, verse 8, verse 9 it says, I can't find it here. Oh, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The first reason why we don't have to be afraid is he is near us. He is with us. He's among us. We're in the palm of his hand. And then there's a second reason why we should not be afraid. We're not afraid because we can hear. And I know that you guys just had this powerful moment last Sunday night. Some of you, for the very first time, really welcomed the work of the Holy Spirit into your life. And can I tell you one of the great benefits of welcoming the work of the Holy Spirit into your life is it becomes really easy, easier and easier to hear the voice of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the Scriptures come alive to us, and that's the first way we should always hear God. But there's something that happens when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, when you welcome the work of the Holy Spirit. You, you just start getting these spiritual ears to hear the words from God. God begins to speak to you. And I know that may seem odd to you, but Jesus promised us as his followers that we would hear his voice. Let me read this to you, John chapter 10. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. Notice that's an active verb here. My sheep listen, actively listen, daily listen, lean in to hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one, he repeats it, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This may be totally new. Some of you may have come from a tradition where hearing the voice of God was taboo or even talked about or maybe never taught on. But here's how I tell people about listening to the voice of God. Now, I've been a follower now for about almost 20 years. Actually, 23 years. 23 years I've been a follower of Jesus. And I hear the voice of the Lord very well. I mean, I've tuned in. I can listen. He whispers and I can hear him. And so I had a young man ask me recently, he said, Brady, you know, I'm new to this. How do you do that? And I said, well, back before you were born, uh, when cell phones were invented, there was no such thing as caller ID. You know, the phone would ring and you didn't know who it was. Remember, even at your house back in the day, the old day, when the phone would ring and there's no caller ID. Caller ID is one of the greatest inventions of the 21st century, by the way. It has saved me a lot of wasted hours on phone calls. <laughs> speed, go, yeah, go to voicemail. I'll catch you later. But anyway, so speed dial, I mean, the voice, all that caller ID is beautiful. But back in the day, when the phone would ring, you'd have to pick it up, and then you'd have, it'd take you 10 or 15 seconds to figure out who it was. Well, I learned way back then as a married man never to tell Pam when she called me, who is this? And the reason is because I, I never had trouble recognizing Pam's voice because we had had a lot of conversations. Even today, I would not even have to look at the speed dial, open the phone, and I'd know it was Pam. Now, how would I know that it's Pam on the other end of the line? Because we've had a lot of conversations. I've learned to listen for her voice. In fact, in a crowded room like this, she could say something, I could pick up her voice. When a lot of people were talking around me, I could, I could spot her voice. And human voices are pretty you know, similar in, in many cases, but I could, I could hear her. You know why? Because we talk a lot, and she's, she's got my heart. My heart belongs to her. Her heart belongs to me. I really like her. I'm crazy about her. 
and we talk a lot. And this is the way you learn to hear God's voice. Have conversations with Him. Pray and listen. This is going to require you to get quiet. It's going to require some solitude. It's going to require you to calm and distill your soul. This is a forgotten art among us many times is to get quiet before the Lord. Pray to Him and then listen. Pray and listen. Pray and listen. Pray and listen. And I guarantee you, three, four, five, six, seven years from now, you'll come back to me and say, hey, I'm, I'm hearing the voice of God because we're having familiar conversations. I talk, I listen, I speak, I listen, I lean in, and I listen. And his voice will become clearer and clearer and clearer. The same way the voice of your spouse, your husband, your wife, is, is easy to recognize. Is the same way God's voice is easy to recognize. When I was about six years old, I was uh, at the Louisiana State Fair in Shreveport, Louisiana, in the first weekend of October. And that was a big deal for all of us. We were redneck, and that was kind of a big deal. You know, to have lights that, that were more than one color was kind of a big deal to us. And, um, and so I remember that night, it was like a Friday or Saturday night, the place was packed, jammed full of people, and my mom and my dad, my brother and my sisters, five of us, were walking down the main midway of the Louisiana State Fair, like 25 acres, 20 acres of carnival rides and goats and people throwing stuff and all kinds of stuff, cotton candy and fried Twinkies, all those things were happening right there, you know? And that's a lot for a six-year-old boy to take in. I mean, it, it's sensory overload for a six-year-old to walk down the main midway of the Louisiana State Fair. But that's where we were. And my dad had told me before we got out of the car, told all of us as kids, guys, there's going to be a lot of people there, very crowded. Stay close. Let's not get separated. Well, you know, sure enough, 10 minutes into walking down the main midway, I stop and realize my parents are nowhere near. Now, I can, I can remember that, that night so vividly. I can remember the sights, the sounds, the smells of that night because it traumatized me. It's the first time in my, in, my, in my life, I think, that I, I was terrorized. I was terrified. I was full of terror. I, I was looking around. My mom and dad are gone. All these people, all these strangers, these, all these lights and sounds, and I was totally overwhelmed. The world started spinning around me, and it seemed like I stood there by myself, terrified, for several minutes, and then I heard something very distinctive, my dad's whistle. And my dad had a little tiny chip out of the bottom of his teeth. Now, he had all his teeth. I know we're from Louisiana, and there's a lot of people that believe we don't, but he had all his teeth. But he had a little tiny chip missing right there, and he never got it fixed because he had, it helped him whistle. He trained our bird dogs, our hunting dogs with that whistle, and he trained me with that whistle. So it was, it was something, it was actually a tool that he used on a regular basis. So it was this whistle, but it was something I'd never heard anybody whistle just like my dad. I mean, just like a whistle. And as soon as I heard that, I looked back, and there was my dad about 10 yards behind me. He had never taken his eyes off of me. He let me wander away to learn a lesson. My dad was near me. And my dad spoke to me. And I think as a little boy, that got into my heart. That, that lesson that my dad was near and my dad was speak got into my soul. And it caused me to be a man who knew how to lean into God. When I was, when I was born, the doctor found this pulmonary valve that had been, I was born with it. And uh, at the time, in 1967, they, there was not enough medical technology to save. Most kids died of tetralogy of flow in 1967. In 1971, I had my first major surgery. And um, they, uh, the day of the surgery, there were six kids that had surgery. Uh, me and a girl from Romania were the only two that survived. The other four kids died on the operating table. And so when they sent me home from the hospital, they told my mom and dad that he probably lived to 15 to 18 years old. That was how my life expectancy at the time. 
My mom and dad obviously never told me that, but on the way home, driving home from Houston back to my hometown, they talked about it in the car and decided, you know what, if, he only, if he's only going to live 15 to 18 years, we're going to let him have a full, rich childhood. We're not going to limit him. We're just, in fact, by the time I was eight or nine years old, I had a gun, a horse, a hatchet. I, I, I was Tom Sawyer. I mean, I really did. I had, a, I had a gun at nine years old. I shot guns. I have guns all over the house when we were kids. I had a horse. And all of my relatives were just gasping at the things my mom and dad would let me do because I was, I was a heart patient. I, was, I could drop dead at any moment. You know, they would tell my mom and dad these horrible things. And my dad would stand firm and say, I'm not going to let him live like that. He's going to have a full, rich life no matter how many years he has. And this is what my mom just told me that story, by the way. I didn't know that story until recently, that I was only given that much time, and that decision my dad made. And here's what I believe happened. This is a great lesson for parents. Parents, if you make decisions out of fear for your kids, you'll raise fearful kids. My dad decided not to make fearful decisions, that fear was not going to be the motivating factor on the way he raised me. And I think something got implanted in me. Pam and I don't make fearful decisions when we're raising our kids. We make faith decisions. And sometimes it means that your kids might be in a risky thing. They may be confronted with something that, that we would shrink back from, but I believe I'm going to raise warriors. I'm not going to raise fearful kids. Now, I just want to encourage you this morning that fear is a crippling, a crippling addiction that gets into our hearts, something that gets inside of us. God's calling us to be people of faith right now. We're a peculiar people, a people of faith, a people of peace. One of the fruits, one of the first three fruits of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5, it's like evidence, evidence that you're following the ways of the Holy Spirit is you'll have these things, love, joy, peace. No mention of fear. Fear and the Holy Spirit are mortal enemies. They, will not, they, they cannot reside with one another. They can't even be in the same room with one another. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit and fear cannot be in the same heart at the same time. The Holy Spirit will not cause you to be the man, the warrior that God's called you to be if fear is there. So we've got to decide which one I'm going to follow. You have to decide this morning which one are we going to follow. One of them is going to lead you. I can absolutely guarantee one of those two things will end up leading you. Fear or the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's leading me, I get love and joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, all those great things. If fear leads me, I know what that feels like. It's awful. Can I pray over you this morning? Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? And I want to ask you a question. And I think this is a question that God himself may be asking us this morning, at least to me, he's asking me this question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Would you just kind of lean in for a second, right where you're sitting in this, in a movie theater? God speaks in movie theaters. I love that. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Because once you hear this voice, once you hear God speak into your life, whatever fear, whatever thing you're fearful about this morning, I promise it's gonna, it won't stay around. It can't. It will not. The Father, I thank you this morning that we are in the palm of your hand, that we are the sheep of your pasture. Father, I thank you that nothing can snatch us from your hand. There's nothing to be afraid of. Lord, we, we are thankful that we can be a people of faith and not fear. So thankful this morning.
And Father, I pray over every person in the room right now that your Holy Spirit would speak, that we would listen and we would respond and be filled with your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. So good to see all of you. Love you.